and welcome to this week's edition of Politically Speaking. I'm Mandy Rhodes, Editor and Managing Director of Holyrood Magazine. The US presidential election was never going to be normal, given the nature of incumbent President Donald Trump, but also in the midst of a global pandemic. And after months of street protests, the United States is in a state of turmoil, the likes of which hasn't been seen in decades. In this special episode of the podcast, we take a closer look at how the election is playing out. We'll be joined shortly by former First Minister Henry McLeish, who's been closely following the campaigns with those vying to win the White House. But first, one of our journalists, Ellen Beaton, has been talking to US voters living overseas and learning why the defining issues of this election may already be in the post. On a slightly dreary autumnal day in early October, I headed down to a park near Leith in the north of Edinburgh to meet Cassandra. Hello. Oh, yeah. Cassandra? Yes. Hi, I'm Ellen. How are Hi, you doing? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. A little bit blinded. The weather's not deciding what it wants to do, is it? Cassandra agreed to meet me on this rainy morning as she was running perhaps her most consequential errand of the year, sending off her postal ballot to vote in the US presidential election. I asked Cassandra to meet me for this socially distanced walk around the park because I wanted to find out what it feels like to be casting a vote from afar in this most unusual of elections. Cassandra is one of around 3 million voting-aged US citizens living abroad, the majority of whom live in countries like Canada, France and the UK. She's in her early 30s and she's lived in the UK for a number of years, although she's originally from the southern state of Arkansas. I grew up there basically until I went off to college or university. I moved to Europe about, I don't know, eight years? She moved to Edinburgh with her husband around three years ago when she learned she was expecting her son. The family now live in the north of the city, not far from the park Cassandra and I are walking around. Despite the distance, she's still close with her US-based family. She says before the coronavirus pandemic, she'd frequently fly out to visit her parents. Like so many other families, in recent months, they've been kept apart. Yeah, my parents still live there. The rest of my family on my father's side lives there. I, I planned on moving back for a very long time. Obviously, being married to a Scotsman and having a child here makes things a bit different. But the political climate does too. The past four years, since Donald Trump was elected to the presidency, have been marked by a period of social and political tumult unlike anything seen in the country in decades. Cassandra, no supporter of the president, says the national mood is beginning to have a direct impact on her family. It's actually the other way where my family is starting to think about leaving the country, despite the fact that my dad's from the US and my mom was there, she's been there for 40, 40 years now. Mm. The combination of the president, the pandemic and months of street protests against racism and police brutality have seemed to raise the stakes for so many people in this election. Turnout as a result is expected to be higher than before. You're sending your postal ballot off? Yes. Have you voted in previous elections by mail? Only in one. Mail-in voting, sometimes called the absentee ballot, has long been a part of the US election process. It's not only something reserved for those people living overseas. The US government estimates that around 24% of all the ballots cast in 2016 were by mail. This year, however, 
the pandemic has changed things. Because of the risk posed by in-person voting, a huge number of Americans have opted to vote by early or postal ballot. By late October, over 60 million Americans had already cast their votes this way. This has led to a surprising development. Donald Trump, seen to be suffering politically for his handling of the coronavirus pandemic, is trailing his Democratic Party rival Joe Biden significantly in the polls. As well as attacking his opponent, Trump has spent recent months focusing on the electoral process itself, in particular, mail-in voting. Listen to this clip of the president speaking during a White House press conference in September. They don't have the money to do the universal mail-in votes. It'll be the greatest rigged election in history. It'll be the greatest fraud ever perpetrated, other than perhaps what they did to my campaign. where they. Trump says his concern is about voter fraud, that the more people that vote by mail, the greater the risk of ballots being lost, duplicated, disposed of, or filled in under duress. Comments like these have been a consistent theme of his re-election campaign. The president has also declined, repeatedly, to say whether he would accept the outcome if he were to lose the election, even going as far as to say that the only way he could lose is if the election were, in his words, rigged. Cassandra is among the number of people who fear the president might really mean what he's saying. Basically, if they lose the election, they want to be able to say, oh, we didn't actually lose the election. It was because of voter fraud. And it's a horrible thing to do when the country is already so divided. Why are you going to increase resentment and doubt in the democratic process? It, it's, not, it's not ethically okay. It's very surreal. I never thought that I would look at what was going on in my home country with the amount of, quite frankly, dread and disbelief that I have right now. I don't want to compare what's going on to something like hyperbolic, but Mm. Sometimes it really does feel like Trump is trying to act like a fascist dictator. The things that he does come from, like, fascism 101. It's, it's, it's distressing. Cassandra and I have been walking laps of the park while she talked to me about her feelings about this election. She's clearly very worried, and as we round a bend in the path, she comes to a standstill under a grand old poplar tree. I think that people are really, really holding on to hoping that the democratic process will just iron things out, will make everything okay. But I'm worried. I'm worried that no matter which way this election goes, we're not going to come out smoothly. And I, I just hope we will. I hope that calm minds prevail and, yeah, you just, you just hope that things can't get much worse than 2020, but of course, you know, unfortunately things can always get worse, but let's, let's hope for the best. After I let Cassandra head to the post office to send off her vote, I wanted to speak to an expert to find out how this election is playing out with the polling day now so close. All right, so I'm Christopher Carman. I am the Stevenson Professor of Citizenship at the University of Glasgow. 
and I'm the current head of the Politics and International Relations uh, Department. I gave Professor Carmen a call to find out more about the dynamics of this election. I started off by asking him the obvious. What is it about this election that's different from previous years? It is very much an election that's focused on the one candidate, Trump, with the other candidate, Joe Biden, sort of being the not Trump candidate. Uh, so it's not that people are uh, resoundingly supportive of Joe Biden as a candidate in and of himself. It's that um, he is the person who is not Donald Trump. The coverage surrounding Joe Biden has tended to focus on his huge lead on Donald Trump in opinion polls. National level polling has shown that the Democrat has around a 10 percentage point advantage. But as Carmen is quick to point out, this type of polling doesn't always tell us the full story. We watch the horse race polls. These are a series of polls that, that ask, if the election were held today, how would you vote? Um, and we watch these at the national level and we pay an awful lot of attention to them. Um, but at the end of the day, sort of as you point out, they, they don't really matter that much. Um, the national popular vote is not how the president is elected in the United States. It's, as we know, the electoral college, and that's determined on a state by state basis. Um, they, some of these states can flip from one election to the next election. Uh, so it becomes quite important to start thinking about these, these swing states. Now, in most of those swing states, Biden is showing to have a bit of a lead. Not all of those states, but in some of those states, most of those states, Biden is showing to have a bit of a lead. But that lead that he has is a few percentage points. Um, and so if you take the margin of error uh, in polls into account, uh, and you take into account the fact that there have, can be a variable quality, uh, this means that predicting the election becomes quite difficult. Even as state and district level polling begins to show a Democrat surge, Republican figures are quick to point to the shy Trump supporter effect. They suggest a hidden majority, overlooked by pollsters, that could swamp the Democrat vote in key parts of key states, much like Trump's 2016 victory over Hillary Clinton. Errol Moorcoach is a spokesman and vice chair of external relations for Republicans overseas, an official Republican Party organization for US citizens abroad. Moorcoach, who was until recently based in St Andrews, spoke to me over Zoom from his family home in Florida. I asked him how he was feeling at this late stage of the campaign. Well, very optimistic. I would say that people have been asking me this question probably for the last two years, and I keep almost saying it's 50-50. And the reason why I say it's 50-50 is because it's going to come down to this last month. Morecoach stresses that he feels confident that Trump has the right number of supporters in the right places to win another term. Remember, he said, Clinton lost with over 3 million more votes than Trump. It's not like some incalculable majority, but it's enough to win in an electoral college because we have 50 states and that's the most important thing about this country. It's not a, it's not a direct democracy. It never was. It's a constitutional republic. This remark, that America is not a direct democracy, is true. Voters cast their ballot for electors who nominate the candidate for president on the state's behalf. But the Republicans have been stressing this point throughout the build-up to this election, in a way which, critics say, belies a suspicion for what the larger voter turnout could mean for the party. In early October, a Republican senator from Utah got attention by simply tweeting the words, we are not a democracy. Trump's rhetoric on voter fraud and on mail-in ballots has also been accompanied by actions, Professor Carmen says. In this election, we've seen states making it more and more difficult um, for people to, to vote uh, by mail or vote early. 
so we've seen, for instance, in Texas, where they've reduced the number of places that you could drop off an early ballot uh, to about one per county. Uh, other states have uh, made it more difficult in terms of, say, signature requirements and these sorts of things around, around voting by mail this election. So we've seen a, a political uh, politicization of, of voting by mail that we haven't really seen before. More coach, whilst dismissive of attempts to predict the election on opinion polling, suggests, as Trump does, that Biden's victory might be in the post bag. The only real poll, right, is in the election booth on election day when that curtain closes, which is a big part of why the unsolicited ballots and the mail-in voting is what is the only thing that we really fear um, could, could break break into that because once once you have the number on election day, so it's Trump wins by 20,000 votes. Okay, so we need to count 20,000 more votes. We can go out, we can collect those ballots, we can come back with those ballots because once you have the number, then you can always, if you count forever, you count till you win. So, is mail-in voting a legitimate way to take part in this election? Great question. And it, so it comes down to what type of mail-in ballots. Uh, uh, absentee ballots that are solicited, that is valid and fair. Nobody's questioned that. It's the unsolicited ballots. It's the mailing ballots in mass. What more coach is describing is a system slightly different to normal absentee balloting. Spurred on by the pandemic, states have greatly expanded the vote-by-mail franchise to include what's known as universal mail-in. Unlike with Cassandra, in this system, ballots can be sent out to registered voters without the need to formally request them. This, Morcoach, Trump and other Republicans claim, could lead to voter fraud, which they also claim could help the Democrats. I asked Professor Carmen if there's any evidence that this is true. None. None whatsoever. Uh, and there has been a substantial amount of academic research done on this, uh, and there is no evidence at all that uh, voter fraud is actually an issue uh, in the United States and affects elections. So could there be a significant difference with universal mail-in voting? There, there's no difference in terms of, of sort of potential for, for you know, fraud, if that's what they're concerned about. They claim that uh, that leads to the potential of people, say, stealing ballots from uh, post boxes because they, they can sort of, they know when these ballots are likely to arrive in people's post boxes and you could steal those and you could fill them out and return them. Uh, or you could have people harvesting ballots, meaning they go from door to door and uh, they do this particularly say at retirement communities. These are the urban myths that the Republicans have uh, used. Trump's incendiary remarks often get played down by his ally, who commend him on speaking freely and with passion, if sometimes imprecisely. I asked Morcoach if he agreed. Is it true that the only way Donald Trump could lose this election is if it is rigged? I would say the only way that conceivably he thinks, well, he's, he's describing rigged also as this absent, non-absentee ballot system. So he's describing that, I think, the subtext of it, because he does speak in some broad strokes. And I think in the broad stroke term, I mean, I, I would be remiss to say that he couldn't lose the election. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, a sycophant or anything like that. Of course, it's, it's a very close election. But if he was to lose in the way that he's describing how he thinks he would lose, then he would think it's a rigged election. It's true that Donald Trump is known for his hyperbolic style. In 2016, as an underdog candidate, he also cast doubt on the possible election outcome. He refused at that time, too, to say whether he would honour the results. Could it just be his usual bluster? Is it naive to take a statement so literally? Could he actually achieve anything for himself by pursuing this strategy? 
Professor Carmen. So there, there's two elements here. Um, one is uh, what Donald Trump's rhetoric is already doing to how people perceive the election. And then another is the element of how Donald Trump, he and himself acts uh, at the election and, and after the election. So the first one of those is his rhetoric is already undermining confidence in democratic processes in the United States. Um, that's fairly clear uh, from the survey evidence. Donald Trump's supporters uh, are far more likely to think that elections can't be trusted, institutions can't be trusted. Now, granted, they res his rhetoric resonates with them because they started off in a position of, of not being quite so trusting of, of the government. But uh, his undermining of elections and the instruments of democracy uh, is quite troubling, quite problematic. So uh, you could expect that, um, will we see people out demonstrating in the streets uh, on the 4th of November? Yes, um, no matter what the outcome is, I think there are probably gonna be large demonstrations, uh, hopefully peaceful, um, and various cities around the United States. Then, as you say, there's the question about how Donald Trump himself responds to uh, whatever the result is. Election night this year won't be anything like election nights that have come before. Although voting has been underway for weeks already, most states won't begin counting the ballots until after the close of polls on the 3rd of November. This has the potential to set the scene for electoral chaos. The timings will be crucial. So it'll go into the 4th, 5th, 6th. Um, in some recent elections, it's taken several weeks to count up all the election, all the election uh, absentee ballots. Uh, so it could be that uh, you could have an extended period of time where you don't know. This is where the question about Donald Trump's reaction becomes crucial. If he on say, you know, at, at uh, 11.59 on PM on the 3rd of November declares himself the winner, um, then that's when you're going to end up seeing a, a massive destabilization of, of the system. And that's when you really have to start worrying. So how he reacts and how he responds, and importantly, how other Republicans react and respond to him um, is going to have a massive impact on uh, how, how the election is even interpreted. For as heightened as the stakes appear to have become for Democrats, the election has taken on an existential meaning for Republicans too. Moore Coach describes the election as a referendum on the America First agenda. For him, as for voters like Cassandra, it's not simply a matter of winning or losing an election. It's about the future of the country itself. This is, this is a political war. In this political war, these sort of, of viewpoints are coming out. People are saying, well, if, 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 they, if they were to pack the ballot boxes, America was hit by a foreign pestilence that you know people are very suspicious about and on top of it they packed the supreme court which turned it into a political body i mean at some point you you can demolish the republic the thing that's at stake is the concept of the nation state it's it's, it's a referendum on either the nation state or the or the uh, sort of post-humanist globalist state the idea that you would rather have 10 middle class people in india if you had to reduce one middle class person in america but more coach insists if Trump loses the election, his side in this political war won't repudiate the results or hold a Democratic victor in the same disdain as progressive have for Trump these past four years. Things won't get violent, he says. In any case, 
He says Trump is out for a clear victory. So I actually have quite a lot of hope that that even now, especially coming into the last month, that after everybody's seen all this and said and done, that, that we're going to win this in a landslide. And I think that's a, that's a comforting thought. But uh, the other comforting thought is if we lose, we're not going to behave in some sort of petulant or, or violent way. We, we respect elections that are free and fair. In many ways, the night of November the 3rd could only be the beginning of a process that will see the presidency placed in the hands of a system sketched out by the framers of the Constitution in 1778. It will be of no comfort to the Democrats that the nation's Supreme Court is likely to intervene, as the court's conservative supermajority is embedded just eight days before the crucial night, with the confirmation of Trump's third nomination, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. In any case, it might turn out that the world looks back on the wild weeks before polling day as the relative calm before the storm. Professor Carmen. So whilst the election can drag on for a week or two, um, there's a limit to how long the election can drag on. How that gets worked out is in the courts. Uh, and um, I think we could probably stand a good chance of some element of this election ending up going to the Supreme Court. The date of the inauguration um, is in early January, and that has to happen. Uh, somebody will be inaugurated as the next president. Whether that is uh, Trump, Biden, or whoever is the Speaker of the House, should there not be uh, a, a decision as to whether it's Trump or Biden, um, it could be the next Speaker of the House who gets seated as a president, depending on the, the problems uh, that come up. So the calendar does set specific dates where all of these problems have to be sorted out. Uh, so it will be an interesting a uh, couple of weeks after the 3rd of November to see how this all plays out. Your vote gets counted. Make sure, because the only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. Remember that. It's the only way we're going to lose this election. So I'm joined now by Henry McLeish, former First Minister, who takes a very close interest in everything that goes on in America. Henry, you've been writing about this election, but also you uh, have been lecturing in America for some years now. Do you think that it's fair to say that in its very simplest form, this election is bas basically about one thing, and that's Donald Trump? You, you have to arrive, at Mandy, at that, that conclusion. I mean, I've been visiting America now for nearly 40 years I've never seen the country so divided, so ugly, so bitter, so at war with itself. And obviously, uh, the, the, the person that has uh, allowed that to happen or made it happen is Donald J. Trump, you know, the 45th president. Um, up to then, I've seen a failing democracy in America. I've seen corrupt politics. I've seen a lot of things that we wouldn't tolerate in, in Western countries in Europe or in the United Kingdom. But that has all changed. And Trump's key asset has been his ability to not really be a politician, but to actually be a, a transactionalist. He sees transactionists, and his street cunning has allowed America to be turned into what I believe is a nightmare. And of course, the result next week will decide whether the world and America will be free of this unhinged president, or we'll have another four years. And I think the point of interest for me is this, uh, it's been described as that the first four years of Trump 
has been about destabilization. Um, the fear is that the next four years will be destruction at home and abroad. I mean, it may seem strange at this particular juncture, I suppose, with um, it looking very likely that he um, will lose and that Joe Biden will win. But if we cast our mind back four or five years, why why did Trump succeed in the first place? Well, I think the, the basic answer to that question, Mandy, is the fact the conditions were ripe for someone that, for example, the founding fathers would have been horrified at the prospect of a Trump-like figure standing for president. But the conditions were right. You find a Republican Party that was moving to the right in a very kind of European sense. You had Trump not really interested in politics, but interested in himself. And so he did things because he could. You had a situation where voter suppression in America is really a moral outrage because here you have 26 states out of the 50 trying to prevent people of colour from voting. You have a situation then where politics excel, excel, itself has been corrupted because of finance. This election will probably cost upwards towards eight to nine billion pounds to actually uh, operate. So what you found was that Trump took over he looked at the landscape. He could see that he could have a complicit and compliant Republican Party as well. And all of a sudden, he put all these things together. And everybody thought, of course, originally that, you know, that, that the grown-ups in the room would prevent that. They didn't. People thought grown-ups in the Republican Party would prevent it. They didn't. So what you've had now is an unhinged president doing what he wanted with few safeguards, checks and balances to stop that happening. And the product of that is a nightmare situation for Americans abroad, in my view, and of course, a, a nightmare for at least half of the population of America. I mean, I can see that naturally, politically, you would feel that way about Trump. But the bottom line is, lots of people voted for him and supported him. And that has changed recently. Well, that that is exactly the, the, the other side of the, the complementary issue, because the conditions were right. But I always say to people when they say, well, look, Trump's this, Trump's that. And then I say, in terms of democracy, 63 million people voted for him. And let's, we can't dismiss that figure. What I think it does do is reflects a very unique type of democracy in America. Remembering, Mandy, that this is a country that values, you know, um, uh, Christianity, uh, constitutionalism, um, and capitalism much more than it does in government. So they've got their faith in other things. But on the other hand, you're absolutely right. And this is where the Trump, Trump key unlocks unlocked his victory because he saw a destabilized country. He saw all of these imperfections. And what he did was, was to play to a base. And of course, the other piece about transaction is that Trump acts like a don. He acts like a fixer. He wants people that, who want lax gun laws, I'll deliver. He wants people that evangelical Christians, white evangelical Christians, who want the Supreme Court to be packed out by fellow thinkers. He delivers. And we've also got a situation where libertarians are around. So this is this is a wonderful example of how a weak system can be exploited by the guiles of one person, aided and abetted, unfortunately, by a Republican Party that used to be called the Grand Old Party and now really is complicit in anything Trump does. For a while, though, when the economy was on the up and people were getting jobs and people at the bottom did feel some benefits. It was very difficult to say why he would then lose support. 
Well, I think it's well. I think there's obviously it's why he lose, he's losing support. But I think initially, he's he he wasn't interested in climate change. He wasn't interested in environment. He wasn't interested in education or health. But what he saw was that you know, as a somebody from the marketplace, let's have massive tax cuts. But even for his base, they benefited by about two thousand dollars a year. But the bulk of the billion uh, or the trillion it was spent went to rich, rich Americans. So you could call it being conned, but nevertheless, it's unfair to criticise people because this is a democracy. He put his platform up and he delivered on that. But of course, what has happened recently is that has all fallen away because of the pandemic. And if there's one single issue now, which is a signature issue for his possible demise, it's it's the worst handling of a pandemic anywhere in the world, and virtually suggesting, you know, in a very hard way, that his type of populism has cost American lives. That, I think, is the fulcrum up around, uh, upon which this election may finally be settled. Do you think, I mean, it looks unlikely, but do you think there's any possibility that he still has the potential to win? <clears throat> yes, I do. And I think this is the both in, the intriguing aspect of the election and, and one it's deeply depressing. I think, first of all, you have a situation where his base, comprising, still supporting him, he still gets about 40% support. His base, some you would describe as near fanatical, they will vote no matter the cost. The other, the problem for Biden is that the um, Hispanic, Asian, and black vote, they like to protest often, but they're not as keen in terms of voting. So unless Biden can increase the turnout, then the seriousness of Trump's base could take him through. That's one point. The second point, when we talk about voter suppression, a lot of people in Europe and in the West will think, well, you know, there's probably some ID issues. No, this is voter suppression on an industrial scale. 26 states, Republican-controlled, are working every means possible to stop the poor, the poorly educated, and people of colour from voting. It's as blatant as that. It's a moral outrage. But nevertheless, this is happening. And of course, nobody seems over concerned because a lot of people think this has been happening. And I suppose the, the, the final issue is the Electoral College. Now, you need Albert Einstein on this programme, Mandy, to explain what that means. But what it does is, it you know, people elect the president but then the president, is a, there's an intermediary, which is called the Electoral College. It's heavily biased towards the smaller white Republican states. And it gives Trump and any Republican a very distinct advantage. So if you take those issues of um, the, the, the enthusiasm of Trump vote, voter suppression, Electoral College, this is where he can win. But look, I'm convinced that you know, the laws of normal politics, the criteria you judge that on, that Trump should be preparing to leave. But the problem is, America is not a normal democracy, and Trump is not a normal president or candidate. So the question that you posed is the real one. He can sneak it. But I've spoken to friends in Denver, I've spoken to friends in Texas, I've spoken to friends in Oklahoma, and I think there's a view that Biden could win, and it could be a comfortable win, but not large, to a landslide. Now, I'm not going to be as optimistic as to think that's going to be the case, but all the all the issues indicate he should go. On the other hand, these three vital points I've outlined means he still has a chance of being in the White House the day after Pong Day. 
he's also someone that um, seems to indicate that he might not leave anyway. Well, I, I think for people like yourself, myself, who like to regard themselves as progressive Democrats, you know, there's a consensus that if you lose, you leave. Trump has not adopted that. And apart from making threats that he won't go quietly, there's two other issues. One is that he's emboldening militia. And, you know, you've got the bizarre situation in America where people are going into the polling stations, into the polling booths with AK-47s over the shoulder. Now, for most of us, that just sounds like uh, just remarkable. But this is America 2020. Um, and I think the other problem, of course, is he's trying to spread chaos, implying that, the, that he can only lose if the ballot's rigged. And then that means that he's spreading um, fear, alarm. And the danger is he encourages a lot of people um, not to vote who might be Democrats. And the final point underlying both of these, there's intimidation now at the polling stations. I read that there was a fire, I think, in Massachusetts. Somebody had put a blaze, a polling, uh, a polling uh, booth. And we have a situation now where Trump is saying, well, look, you can't trust the polls. If I lose... You don't want to leave. And remember the quote he made about Michigan. The, the, the fragility of America is kind of illustrated by um, Trump's reference to the Proud Boys, a, a, a white extreme right-wing group. And he said to them not really to stand down, but to stay alert, suggesting this is a call to arms if the election didn't go Trump's way. What do you think um, a Trump victory would mean for democracy in America? Well, my fear is that it would just continue the slide. There's no doubt that you, you have to have a very peculiar democracy in which Trump can be elected and then do all the damage, all the disruption that he's done. But when you consider that he's, he's, he's appointed just about three Supreme Court judges, unparalleled in the history of America, that means they've got a right-leaning um, uh, Supreme Court um, for the next 30, 40 years. He's turned over nearly 250 judges in lower courts, which are important. You know, so whilst we've been talking about Trump and his buffoonery and his jokery and just unhinged, he's been working away with the Senate to actually accelerate the undermining of American democracy. But the second point is that with the turnout in America, never good, 56% in 2016, way behind equivalent democracies in Western Europe, um, you could see a situation where the democracy continues to decline. Now, if the Democrats lose, what do they do? If the Republicans lose, there's some suggestions about what they might do. So, so this is a nightmare. Um, the checks and balances have disappeared. And what Biden has to do if he wins over the next four years is not just to move on education and health and climate energy, but actually to try and rebuild democracy in America. That's going to be a much bigger task. Do you think that um, that situation, if Trump wins, that would simply fan the flames of populism across Europe? Well, there's no doubt that Trump's populism has emboldened many in Europe already. And they openly say that. So there's no disguising that particular fact. And what really worries me is that in the United Kingdom, there are traits of Trump's populism in Boris Johnson's pattern of behaviour. So that's the other danger. Not only does it directly affect the 
the WHO, the WTO, uh, NATO, the European Union, um, by his actions abroad. But he's emboldening people to think the unthinkable, do the unthinkable. And if you think of populism, authoritarianism, a kind of xenophobia, um, and nationalism all linked together, then my big fear is for the United Kingdom. Because, you know, in America, when Trump was elected, it says, no, all of these predictions can't, it can't happen here. We're a stable democracy. It has happened in America. And my fear is here is that Johnson is starting to mimic some Trumpisms. And it may be that the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom will do, will have to do what the Republican Party didn't do in America, that's bring Johnson to heel. There are some signs of that, but certainly your question is the valid one. The, tra the trail of recklessness and destruction he's leaving throughout the world, in addition to the damage he's doing at home. Well, let's talk about perhaps a more positive outcome, which would be Joe Biden winning then. What would that mean, do you think, in terms of our relationship, that special relationship that people talk about, the UK and the US, given Joe Biden was clearly against um, Brexit, and that is where we now are? How do you think that relationship would work out? Well, the, the positive thing about Biden is he, he is he is decent and he will bring hopefully, some stability. So these are outstanding qualities that Trump um, would never recognise. That said, you know, Biden was Obama's vice president for eight years. And you may remember the President Obama occasion where he, he put the bust of Winston Churchill outside the Oval Office and made the statement, yes, look, America has many special relationships. Britain is only one of them. So I think Biden will bring that to bear. But I think immediately Boris Johnson has been hoping that his main consolation prize for the for the crazy idea of leaving um, uh, the EU was to have a trade deal with America. Now, Mandy, um, if Biden or Trump is in the White House, neither of them are really interested. America has nothing to gain um, apart from a long-term friendship um, with the United Kingdom. So what you've got is Biden comes in. He's already made it clear because of the way the Irish have been treated that you know the UK will be further down the line. Biden wants to actually have a, a, an EU deal long before he has a deal with the United Kingdom. So Johnson hasn't seen that uh, coming, but that's going to be one of the problems. The second problem is that the traditional links between the US and the UK in terms of security, in terms of banking, in terms of finance, that will all continue. But I suggest that Biden might have a more soured view of the United Kingdom, especially after the Irish um, uh, estramage a few weeks ago, and partly because his mind will be on other, other things. And let's also be honest about the trade deal. Johnson is encouraging a trade deal. But what he seems to forget is there's only two areas that there are possible benefits to America. One is farming, one is pharmaceuticals, and that could mean um, the exploitation of our pharmaceutical industries and farming to, to our loss. And so, therefore, all of this should have a bearing on what the United Kingdom does. And it seems to me that if Biden wins, Johnson um, will not stop his, um, his Trumpism in terms of his populism, but you'll have to regard Joe Biden as a more serious international um, friend than Trump could ever be. 
And I suppose because this is Scotland and everything comes back to one thing. I mean, as you say, Joe Biden has made his position clear around Ireland uh, and the UK. So he must have thoughts on what uh, the relationship within the United Kingdom is. Uh, And Obama obviously famously did intervene slightly on the independence referendum first time around. What do you think Biden's thinking might be? Well, the first positive thing for us in Scotland is that he's a progressive. I mean, he, he's a Democrat. He's got nearly 50 years experience in government and he just he, he's just a decent person. So that that is all in contrast to Trump. But I think as far as Scotland's concerned, I mean, um, we have a situation where I think I started this off in 1998, the idea of Scotland Week. And, you know, there are nearly 50 members of the U.S. Congress that uh, claim Scottish dependency. Um, And that 50-strong caucus is something we could develop further. I think Scotland is well regarded in the United States, um, whereas Britain is becoming less so in many, many quarters. And I think for Biden as well, you know, Biden is is a strong um, Catholic with uh, Irish Irish, uh, background. And he takes a big interest in what's been happening in Ireland. And I think he will be a friend to Scotland. He won't want to build golf courses everywhere and exploit that for the kind of things we've seen in America. But he will be a more secure and more stable. And I suspect this will give the Scottish government a chance to be closer to the Scottish caucus and actually to be doing more in the Scotland Week idea with the United States. But I think overall, uh, Biden will be more prejudiced, I think, against Johnson's England, as it were, than he would be in relation to Ireland, uh, both parts of the island of Ireland and indeed Scotland. It'll be interesting, won't it? I mean, you consider, if you look back, Obama and Cameron had quite a close relationship and you just can't imagine that between Biden and Johnson. No, I mean, they... This is not going to happen. I mean, as you say, I mean, Trump, I think, has had a bit of a... Uh, he's kept Johnson at the at the end of a long, long line, and he's used Johnson, um, you know, and, and Johnson has been emboldened by his support for Brexit. But at the end of the day, um, Biden is a serious player. Biden will not only be looking towards the United Kingdom, he will be looking towards the whole international order. And when you consider that Trump was instrumental in waxing eloquent about uh, Brexit. He's emboldened populists in places like Hungary and Poland. He's he said he's going to withdraw from the World Health Organization. He's ruining the World Trade Organization. He's been meddling with NATO. So Biden will be a serious player with his 50 years experience behind him. There will be no radical changes. But what it will mean is that instead of this unhinged president sitting in the White House, they'll have somebody in Europe they can trust Um, And that will be a huge step forward. And he will want to repair relationships with, for example, Angela Merkel, because she has been um, um, uh, someone that he respects, whereas Trump respects no one, really. And to be really harsh about it, Mandy, he doesn't respect anyone except himself and his family. And apart from that, the rest of the world has been a kind of playground for some of the daftest ideas we've seen in politics for for decades. So... (laughs) If he actually wins, though, Henry, mm-hmm. what does that mean, do you think, for the world, for global politics? Well, the first positive thing is that, you know, China's strong, America's strong, and Europe is in danger of being weakened, especially with um, with Brexit. 
So I think the first thing would have to happen is Europe will have to have more confidence in itself because the three big economic power brokers in the world, China, Europe, and the US, under Trump, the US will continue to be unreliable. So, so that suggests for me that the EU should become stronger. The EU should recognize it is the biggest trading, second biggest trading bloc in the world, and it, but it's got to take more of an interest in itself. I think the second point is that if he carries on with China, then you may find that China will increasingly isolate itself uh, from uh, Trump. And you might find that the tariff situation, the trade situation between the two could be very damaging towards the rest of the world. But I think thirdly, um, if he goes ahead, for example, the day after the election next week, the Paris Accord, America will leave it. That's the year up. And I've talked about the WTO, we've talked about NATO, we've talked about a whole range of things. And what it does mean is that this idea that he's 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 going to destroy something, that will happen now. He's set it up, he's made the world a very uncomfortable place, and unless he's taken back by the Republican Party, then quite frankly, um, the, the world will be a nightmare. And that's why, you know, people say, well, you have to be balanced when you talk about Trump. No, you don't have to be balanced. He's done virtually nothing for America in four years. He's shaken the world, and they're now really um, uh, concerned about what might he might do. So there's only one exit for Trump, and hopefully the American people will give them that. But I've never been in a position in the 40 years visiting America that I've seen the country so alarmed. But the trouble is that in a normal democracy, people would vote him out. But it's not a normal democracy. And that's why we should all be fearful until the ballot boxes are emptied and there's some indication from the, the US media that it's been called and Trump's out. Given what 2020's thrown at us so far, <laughs> you would think we deserve a break. Well, I mean, the other thing is that, you know, he's the only one. I mean, the world has signed up globally um, to share in the research to have a, a vaccine for the, for the disease. Um, Trump has not. I mean, this is a this is a troubled, troubled person um, who, virtue by luck and by his cunning character, managed to get the nomination, managed to win the presidency, and has spent four years helping himself to the coffers and also undermining much of what the good things in the world are and should be. So um, I don't we won't be shedding any crocodile tears, but I do think that the bigger challenge for Biden will be, and the Democrats and some of the sensible Republicans, is they have to rebuild the democracy. Because the founding fathers thought they would put in place checks and balances that no one like Trump could take over a country, a democracy, a set of governance politics in the way he has. So yes to Biden, hopefully he wins. But if he if he does win, there's still a fantastic amount of work to be done to make America a viable democracy again. And will you be watching? Sorry? The election? Will you be watching the election? Oh yes. I mean, you know, I've been in America for the last few elections. I, I was sitting in Oklahoma uh, in 2016 when Clinton was surprisingly defeated. We were drinking whiskey about half past seven, half past eight in America. But by nine o'clock, the whiskey was put away and I think everybody went to bed. It was a stunning, a stunning surprise. I'm confident that I won't get there this year, of course, to watch in America. But I'll be sitting at home and, you know, there might be a whiskey nearby 
and this time it hopefully will be a celebration. I suspect Henry won't be the only person uh, enjoying a glass of scotch on election night, whether commiserating or celebrating. Um, But what we want to do is take the tone back down to our usual nonsense. And Liam Kakodi has obviously been desperate to get in on the podcast. So we're now going to talk through some of our favourite Trump moments. So this is a special episode this week, which means we do not have a rant, which we would normally have at the end of the show. I've been brought in at the end, like a bouncer expected to clear a bar. Um, Mandy, I think you've got a plan instead. <laughs> well, it is kind of a rant, Liam, because I think um, the, I'm sure both of us have got things to say about the Donald. And I think, you know, the election's in a week and... It's four years since he rode in like a one-man hurricane, blowing mm. the whole US presidential race wide open. Um, and everybody kept saying he'll never win this. And gosh, that man will never get into the White House. And he won the keys in November 2017. And what a term it's been, I think. You know, the war, yeah. the fake Melania, the small hands, <laughs> the fake news, <laughs> the division. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I'd like to start off by pointing out I'm very, very wary of, um, of predicting anything in this because I didn't think he would get elected last time. So, well, no one did. I, mean, <laughs> I, think, I think he did. Yeah, he did. He, he believed in himself, which I suppose yeah. is where you have to begin to become president. It's a beginning, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I just I have a horrible feeling that we're going to do some sort of section about Donald Trump as if he's on his way out of the White House. And then we're going to find out in a few months, in a, well, fairly shortly, actually, that he's, in yeah. fact, not going anywhere and that the polls were wrong or the polls were misleading because of the way the electoral system works. Well, I suppose my view would be is without making any predictions, we don't need to say he he will definitely not be in the White House, but <laughs> we can at least recognise and celebrate the end of this four years of him being in the White House with some of our most memorable times with the Trump, with the Donald. Yeah. Um, and I guess on, on a kind of more serious note, clearly, if he loses this election, um, which is what is predicted, um, and that Biden takes over, the bottom line for his demise has been, despite his incredible recovery, nay, his his being cured and being immune, as he would say, from the virus, it's it's going to be the record of um, of the pandemic for him. The numbers of Americans that have died from this virus that he continues to call the Chinese virus mm-hmm. um, has just been. just tragic absolutely tragic and and yet when you look back on the way he treated this the way he wouldn't wear a mask the way he talked about swallowing bleach which some people did Mm. uh, or shining a light up his nether regions to try and rid himself or anyone of a virus it didn't stop him getting coronavirus did it that was i suppose that's one of the things we've learned is that um if he was injecting himself with bleach it didn't really work no, I just think that perhaps the virus was quite clever and just yeah. called his bluff. But, um, I mean, you know, over the whole term and before, when you think of the things he said, he's just, um, I was looking up a quote that he's in Playboy in March 1990. He said, I think if this country gets any kinder or gentler, it's literally going to cease to exist. <laughs> I mean, these are the but kind like of just achieve nonsense. enlightenment and just <laughs> yeah. disappear. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I will be phenomenal to the women. I want to help women. I'm sure mm. women have been very grateful for all the help he's given them. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, that's... I mean, how do you think COVID's actually going to sit in his record in office? Because, I mean, it's obviously overwhelming everything at the moment, but he has so many howlers. You know, it's, he's, he has he, he has got a really, really almost an uninter- uninterrupted record of, of kind of almost madness at points. <laughs> Are you saying this of the man that said of his daughter, if she weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her? I mean, I suppose the problem for me is that, I mean, fake news has basically been born through Trump. And Mm -hmm. if he gets back into um, the White House, will this period of history just be erased? Mm. Well, and also, what if he doesn't? What what happens if he doesn't get back into the White House? Let's say he does hand over power, despite fears of you know of, of his kind of refusal to leave. Imagine if he does leave, he's going to have his own TV channel. Probably, he appears to have his own private militia that seems to do his bidding, and he's going to continue to be on on social media. So he's not going to disappear. He's not going to lose influence, is he? I think the only thing we can hope for is that he doesn't want to come back to the motherland. Yeah, well, that's true. Do you think he would? Is it, is it uh, Lewis? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. So maybe he'll move and settle down, start a croft. Oh, and we'll miss him bigly. Bigly, yeah. <laughs> well, Turnbridge's closer, said, I suppose. Do you remember when he te- tested very positive for being negative? I do, yeah. I also remember more recently his um his excellent memory. I don't know if you remember those words, Mandy. At the time we had to test. <laughs> oh, no! Man, woman, TV. Those are the words, oh. but he can do them in the right order. I mean, obviously yeah. no one's expecting you to reach Trump's level of, of memory. That'd be asking too much of you. Well, you clearly need to be a very intelligent person to be in the White House, don't you? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Perhaps politicians should do something about that, Liam. This special focus for this episode of the podcast on the US elections has been a different style for us altogether. A lot less Liam, a bit more others, um, which could be a good thing. But we'd be interested to know what you thought of us focusing on one particular issue. And we'd be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts and you sharing your comments on any of your social media platforms. We'll be looking forward to doing specials on the Scottish Parliament elections and various other issues as they come up. So always be in touch.